Amen. You may be seated and welcome. It's great to have you all with us. Uh, I'm going to ask you if you would to take your Bibles and find your way to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. It is great to have Josh James with us. Josh over here. Josh is uh, was actually with us kind of he when we were meeting Sundays at 4 p.m. Josh helped us out. Josh was actually a roommate with Chris Jennings, our worship leader at GCU. They were both worship leaders there as part of the um, the gathering, and and Josh now. Uh, uh, with uh, uh, Justin Unger, they lead Likewise Worship, which is just a great ministry for worship leaders, not just here in Arizona, but in California, I think in Missouri, and, and they continue to grow. And so Josh just has a real heart for the Lord. We're really thankful that he could be here. And the reason that he's helping us out is that Chris and Nikki had their baby girl, Indy May, on Tuesday. And so we're really excited for them. So they now have three girl, or two girls and a boy. And uh, so they're going to have to even that out for sure. Um, any rate, uh, this last week and this last year is another reminder that as believers in Jesus Christ, we do have a firm foundation. In fact, it's a reminder that this world is not our home. First Peter chapter 2 talks about the fact that we are just sojourners. We are just passing through. And that's a good thing. Because the minute we start thinking this is our home, we can get awful messed up awful fast. We live in a fallen world where sin runs rampant and sometimes it causes people to run rampant. And that's not who we're called to be. Sometimes it, it feels like the walls are closing in on those who are trying to take a stand for Christ. And we start asking ourselves, is it worth it? The reality is, is, though, that when you read Scripture, none of this should be a surprise. In fact, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mountain, in, in Matthew chapter 15, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs, For theirs is, the is the kingdom of heaven. We will, we will be persecuted. In fact, In fact listen to what Paul says to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, and let me just put it on the screen. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, not might be, but will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Does that sound... Pretty apropos. Pretty apropos. Deceiving and being deceived. And then he says this. But as for you. But as for you Christian. Continue in what you have learned. And have firmly believed. He's telling Timothy. He says man just keep going forward. Don't get distracted to your right or to your left. Just press on to the upper call of Christ. Instead of looking around. Look up. How many of us needed that reminder this past week? Look up. Look up. Where does our help come from? Psalm 121, one of the Psalms of the sense is this. Psalm 121, one and two. Let me put it on the screen. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
He will not let your foot be moved. Why? Because he's our firm foundation. He who keeps you will not slumber. We need to be reminded of that. This is not a political statement. This is a theological statement. Our firm foundation is Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That is where we need to look. So now when we come to John 10, you see another reason to look to the Lord. How'd you like that for a transition? We're reminded that Jesus is our good shepherd. He's the one you can trust in your trials and in your difficulties. In fact, our big idea, I'll put it on the screen, says this. You can, dr you can trust Jesus because he is the good shepherd. You can trust him. You can trust him. No matter what's going on around you, what can you do? Trust him. Now, as we read John chapter 10, we have to be reminded, as we did last week, that John 10 is really in view of John 9. Remember, you have this man that's born blind. Jesus heals him, heals him. It was a great thing, except if you're a religious leader that's more concerned about the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. And so last week, we saw this, this contrast between those that were true shepherds and those that were thieves and liars. And Jesus was really setting up this contrast between these false shepherds that did not care about the sheep and the, and the one true shepherd. And Jesus talks about that he is the door. He tells us that in John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. In fact, no one can come to the Father except through Jesus who is the door. Jesus is the one that allows us to have eternal life. And now we see the second part of this passage. That not only is Jesus the door, but Jesus is the good shepherd. You can trust Jesus as the good shepherd. I'm going to give you six reasons why. It's going to be right out of the text. Here's the first one. You can trust Jesus as the good shepherd because, first of all, he died for you. He died for you. Look at, look at verse 11. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the fourth of the seven I am statements. Remember, the book of John is written, uh, John chapter 20, verse 31 tells us that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. And so he has these seven different statements, these I am statements, ergo ami, where he is declaring that he is God. I am, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. Uh, I am the good shepherd. Next week, we'll see. He, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine. I am the true vine. He is, each time he is declaring that he is God. When he says, I am, it's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. It's a declaration of his deity. But he says here, I am the good shepherd, and it's a reminder that God is our shepherd. We see that in, in Psalm chapter 23, verse 1, where David says, The Lord is my shepherd. God is our shepherd, and we are the sheep of this flock. In fact, Isaiah chapter uh, 53, verse 6 says, And all we like sheep have gone astray. 
The good news is God is our shepherd. The bad news is we are sheep. And we wander. We're prone to wander. Anybody feel it? Lord, I feel it. We wander. We wander from the shepherd. We have that tendency. We can be stubborn. Sheep can be stubborn. Don't look at your spouse right now. And sheep sometimes have a tendency to not be too smart, and that's being nice. So as sheep, we need a shepherd, but not just any shepherd. We need the good shepherd, the only one that is good. When he's using the word good here, it means to be morally good, to be genuine, to be true. Jesus is the genuine, noble, worthy shepherd who is good. Why is he good? Well, first of all, it's inherent in his nature. He is sinless. He is without sin. Second Corinthians, uh, Second Corinthians 5.21 reminds us that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might receive the righteousness of God. It is inherent in his nature. But secondly... He is good because we see it demonstrated by laying down his life for the sheep. Notice what he says here. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Five different times in, the, in, the, in these next verses, he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. I lay my life down for the sheep. If we're not careful, we miss the significance of that. And the implications of that. He laid his life down for us. He died in our place. That's known as substitutionary atonement. He became a substitute for us. He died in our place on the cross. As the door, the shepherd is the only entrance into the fold. But the good shepherd, he protects the sheep by dying on the cross in their place. In fact, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. I'll put it on the screen. Here it is. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's really a good news. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. One would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only did he die for our sins, but he died while we were continuing to sin. Christ died for us. Okay, I'm going to try to fix this here. Let me have a little strap coming back behind me. But it's, but it's a reminder that you can trust him because he died for you. Listen to what Don Carson says, D.A. Carson says, the great theologian. He says this, the shepherd does not die for his sheep to serve as an example. Throwing himself off a cliff in a grotesque and futile display while bellowing, see how much I love you? No. The assumption is that the sheep are in mortal danger. That in their defense, the shepherd loses his life, and by his death, they are saved. That and that alone is what makes him the good shepherd. Listen, you can trust Jesus as the good shepherd because he died for you. He died in your place on the cross. 
And it is because of his death in our place. We are his. We have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, uh, tells us. And if you want to see how good the good shepherd is, just watch him go to Calvary. Watch him lay his life down on the cross. Watch him be raised on the third day. Jesus came to die. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But there was a reason he was incarnated. It was to die. To die the death that we deserved. Here's a question. If he laid his life down for you, is there anything you can't trust him with? Is there any reason you shouldn't trust him? Should you be able to trust him for your relationships? I mean, I think about marriage. We go to all these other places for wisdom, yet the good shepherd has given us a plan for a marriage, for a great marriage. The problem is most Christians don't apply this to their lives. Shouldn't we be able to trust him for our finances, our health issues, or being able to, to, to endure under health issues or cultural challenges or whatever worries we might be, able to, we might be going through? Listen, the, the, the implication is here is as the good shepherd, we should trust him. Came to die. What's amazing is implicit in that, he lays his life down for us, is love. John 3.16 says it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. You can trust Jesus as the good shepherd, one, because he died for you. But secondly, he won't abandon you. He won't abandon you. Look at verse 12. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So there's this contrast between the shepherd and the hired hand. Some of your translations may say a hireling. Somebody that's just hired versus somebody that owns it. Now, when Pam and I owned all of our businesses, we understood the difference between owning and working for. I mean, we would do whatever we had to do for the, for the business. Stay up all night. Work through a weekend, which I don't recommend people do. And, and the fact is, there were, there were a lot of people that just, they came, they did the work, they got the paycheck, they went home. Never to think about it again. I'm thinking, that sounds pretty good. But the fact is, the good shepherd, he cares about the sheep. He's not a hireling. And so what you see here is, is if the wolf comes, and even though the hireling is not a bad person, but listen, if you saw a wolf coming... And those, and those are somebody else's sheep, and it's, and it's, it's, it's you, you or the sheep. sheep. Most people are going to say, I'm out of here, but not, but not the good shepherd. He, he, he places himself in the door of the sheepfold, 
He lays his life down to protect the sheep. That's our good shepherd. He doesn't abandon us. He won't abandon you. See, the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, they weren't true shepherds. That's what, that's what Jesus is telling us here. They were self-serving hirelings. Jesus loves his sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep. He laid his life down for you. And he loves you. And the fact is, because he loves you, nothing can separate you from his love. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. And I gave you verse 35 and then 38 and 39. But he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's kind of a rhetorical question. The answer is like nothing. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he says this, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's the good shepherd and he will not abandon you. In fact, at the end of every service, we remind you that God loves you. We tell you, you are loved. Jesus died for you. He won't abandon you. You can trust Jesus as the good shepherd because why? He died for you. He won't abandon you. And third, he knows you. He knows you. Look again at verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is the second time he, he declares that he is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Why does he say this? Because he knows his sheep. He has an intimate relationship with them. They know him. He knows them. Now I'm going to give you a very weak illustration here. And it has to do with my wife and her dogs. Pam loves our doodles. Labradoodles. They know her. She knows them. They get biscuits X times a day. We're just going to leave it at X. She takes them for a walk every day. I mean, I think three days after she had her hip surgery, she was walking the dogs. They, like, they look at her as if she has a pork chop wrapped around her neck. They love her. But she loves them. You do not want to get between mama and the dogs. They know each other. Now, as cute as that might sound, Jesus loves us so much more. He knows us so much more. The fact is, it is through knowing Christ that we have salvation. See, it's not just about knowing about Jesus. It's knowing him. Notice what it says here, that word know. He says he knows. There's, there's intimacy uh, in this. It's, it's no more than just about a person. It's not just an acquaintance. But it's, but it's a, a deep, deep abiding relationship with. with. Pam and I have been married for 30 years. There, there, we, we have this relationship. It's through spending time together. And listen, you can't have a saving relationship with Jesus without knowing him and spending time with him. I, I, I picked up a book the other day. It's, it's called Shoe Dog. 
and it's about a guy named Phil Knight. Anybody know who Phil Knight is? He started Nike. And, 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 and before he started the company, he had this idea in his head. He was going to travel around the world. And he was looking for somebody to travel with him. And, and he found a friend. And, and he said this. And I just thought this was such a great quote. He said, I'll put it on the screen. He says, he's talking to this guy. He said, he was easy to talk to and easy not to talk to. Think about that. There are some people that are really easy to talk to. But it's, but it's nice, nice if you don't have to talk sometimes. And you can and just, you can just sit there and not talk. How many people, How many people like that? Like that? I, I love that. Okay. okay. It says, equally important qualities in a friend, essential in a travel companion. companion. Right? But, but, but the fact is, they had a relationship. To know involves intimacy. It's a deep understanding of the person. And so Jesus says here, in verse, in verse 14, I am the, I am the good shepherd. shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. The problem is there are some people out there that just know about Jesus, but they think they know Jesus. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter, 20, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, he says this. Look at it on the screen. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if that hasn't gotten somebody's attention, it should. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, what day is he talking about? The day we stand before the Lord. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and uh, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never, what, knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What he's saying is that there was never this abiding relationship Turning from our sins and turning to Jesus. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. Listen, they were doing all these great things. They were casting out demons in his name. They were doing mighty works in his name. But did they have a vital relationship? Do you know about Jesus or do you really know him? It's important to ask that, answer that question. Jesus knows his flock. His flock know him. And the fact he knows that we're prone to wander, we're prone to rebel, and we're prone to forsake him. He knows us. In fact, Psalm 139, 1 through 4, speaks about how well he knows us. It's the omniscience of God. Look what, look what uh, Psalm 134 says. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Chew on that for a minute. He discerns our thoughts. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oops, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. This is good news and bad news. Good news, good news or bad news is he knows. The good news is he knows, which means we can go to him. We don't have to hide from him. We don't have to run to him. We can trust in him. We, we can come to him. We can depend upon him. He knows. He knows you. 
find verse 15 remarkable. Look at verse 15. No, actually, I'll go back to 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. He knows us as well as he knows the Father. Becomes the example, the model for the relationship as the Father has a relationship with the Son, so we should have a relationship with the Son. And yet this is why he lays his down for the sheep. Listen, once you are in Christ, your heart cry, your desire should be to know him. And you can't do that without spending time with him. It's about a relationship. Spending time in his word through prayer, through worship, corporate worship, through small group. Small group is a great opportunity to learn more about the Lord, to spend time with him. It's through service. It's through fellowship. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Listen, you can trust Jesus as the good shepherd because he died for you. He won't abandon you. He knows you. Fourth, he rescued you. He rescued you. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came for a purpose, to seek those who were lost, which is all of us. Look what he says in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. When he says other sheep, he says other sheep of this, that are not of this fold, that are not of the fold of Israel. Who is he speaking about? He's speaking the Gentiles, which will be most of you, most of the world that are not Jews. This is a divine must. It's a divine necessity. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. You see the heart of the Son for those that are lost. There are others that we must bring into this fold. It's a missionary call. And it's not just for Jesus. It's for all of us. That we should have a heart for those that are lost. And you don't have to go very far to find that. I would tell you all you got to do is turn on the TV, but I don't want to be telling you to turn on the TV. He's, notice what he says. He says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. They will listen. Why? Because they are his sheep. They will listen. He's calling those into his flock. They will listen. Those who hear his voice will enter by the door, and he saves them. He rescues them. What does he rescue them from? From sin. From the, from the penalty of sin, the wrath, the wrath of God. God. He, he, he rescues us from, from our shame of sin, the guilt. And he clears the slate. He takes it away. You know what I love about being in Christ? He wipes our slate clean. We need that. He says at the end of verse 16, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. It's a picture of unity. There will be one flock. It's the universal church. One, One shepherd, shepherd, that's Jesus. 
he rescued you through his death and resurrection. He laid his life down for you, and he was raised for you. Look at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. If you ever thought that it was somebody that, I mean, God used the Romans and the Jews to put Jesus on the cross, but Jesus laid his life down on the cross. It was, it was, a, it was in obedience to the Father. He says, no one takes it from me, by, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from the Father. He's speaking about the fact that he, had, he died in order to rise. His voluntary death was followed by his victorious resurrection, all prophesied in the Scriptures. Now, you can only imagine how the religious leaders responded to this. Well, actually, you don't have to imagine. Just look at verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can, the, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What's he speaking about? He's speaking about back in verse 19 or chapter 9. And, and, and so there's this, when Jesus speaks, people are always going to be against him, but there's going to be people that hear the voice of the Lord and are drawn to them, to him. Listen, you can trust Jesus as the good shepherd. He died for you. He won't abandon you. He knows you. He rescued you. But wait, there's more. He gives you eternal life. He gives you eternal life. Verse 22. At the time of the Feast of the Dedication, at, at that time, the Feast of the de Dedication took place in Jerusalem. Feast of Dedication. It's also known as the Festival of Lights. It's, it's the regathering of the nation of Israel, the rebuilding of the temple, 200 B.C. It's also known as Hanukkah, which the Jewish nation, they, they still celebrate around Christmas. And Jesus, is, he says it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. I'm thinking, okay, they don't have down. They don't, they don't have, have furry boots, boots. And, it's and it's cold in Jerusalem in the winter. And I'm thinking, what was Jesus wearing on his feet at the time? I don't know, I was just thinking about what, you know, it's, it's winter time in Jerusalem and he's walking in the colonnade, the colonnade of Solomon, which is this beautiful building. It says, Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly, meaning if you are the one that has been prophesied, the, the Messiah to come, tell us, tell us now. We want to know. Look at verse 25. Jesus answered them. I told you. And you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. I read that and I'm thinking, hello? Anybody home? I mean, here he is. All these, all these works, works that they've seen, all the, miracles, all the miracles, all of his teachings, everything he's done has been a fulfillment of what's been prophesied. These guys are the teachers of Israel. They're the religious leaders. They should know, but they continue to reject him. Why? Because they aren't of his fold. Look at verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep 
hear my, hear my voice, voice. And, I and I know them, them. and they and follow me. How do you How know, do you know if, you're if you're a sheep that belongs, that belongs to the Lord? To the Lord? You, follow you follow him. You hear his voice, and you, and follow, you follow him. him. I, I give, give them eternal life. life. Let, me Let me ask you, you when you look at that, at that where do we get eternal life from? Jesus. He is the one that gives us eternal life. There is no other place to get eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He is our pathway to eternal life. If you don't have that marked in your Bible, I would, I would tell you to mark it. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's an amazing passage of Scripture right there. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever, because they have eternal life, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That right there is the security of the believer. That word snatch, it means to pluck, to seize to take away, to get, gain control of. Listen, if you're in Christ, no one can take control of you. You're in Christ. In Christ, you have assurance of eternal life. You don't have to wonder. Can I lose my salvation? You cannot lose your salvation. In fact, 1 John chapter 2 says, they went out from us because they were not of us. Because had they been of us, they would not have gone out from us. But they went out from us to manifest that they were not of us. It took me a lot of years to figure that one out. That's a tongue twister. See, if they go out from us, it means that they were never of us. You cannot lose your eternal salvation. Why? There's nothing you can do to gain it, and there's nothing you can do to lose it. It is a work of God. Jesus saves us, and he secures us for eternity. That's an amazing thing. Why can you trust the good shepherd? Because he's the good shepherd. And he rescued you. He died for you. The Father gives the sheep to the Son, and the eternal life is secure. Finally, he died for you. He won't abandon you. He knows you. He rescued you. Did I miss one? Did I say he gives you eternal life? There it is. And six, he is God. He is God. Why can you trust him? Because Jesus is God. In fact, look at verse 30. I and the Father are one. A clear statement of divinity. I and the Father are one. It is an explicit statement of Jesus' oneness with the Father. Now, as you can imagine, this response elicits outrage. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews said to him, it is not for the good work that, you are, that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. 
Now, he didn't make himself God. He is God. He is God in the flesh. Fully man, fully God. Jesus answers them. Is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. And here he's quoting Psalm 82, 6. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of whom the father consecrated and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Went away, went away again, again across, across the Jordan to the place where John, where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many, and many came to him, and they said, John, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed him, and many believed in him there. We can put our trust in the good shepherd, because he is the good shepherd. He laid his life down for us. Here's the point. It's easy to become overwhelmed, maybe even depressed, or numb to what's going on around us in the world. The reality is we live in a fallen world where fallen people are running around. Sin runs rampant. And this passage is a reminder to look up, to look to the good shepherd, to put our focus and our love and our trust in the one who is good. It's also a reminder that if you don't know Jesus, as, as, Rome, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, be reconciled to him. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. When the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. Turn to him. Be saved. Romans 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. He says, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, maybe I didn't put it on there, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one uh, confesses and is saved. There may be some of you today here that aren't part of his fold, but notice what he says. There's others of this fold that I must bring in. And maybe that's you. And God's calling you to himself today. Not tomorrow, but today. Here's a second reminder. Some of you know Jesus, truly know him. But you've allowed the world around you to cause you to take your eyes off of Jesus. Now, you might not ever admit that in small group, but you know it's true. It's a reminder to look to him, to return to him, to run to him, listen to him, to love him, to, to obey him, to trust in him, to abide in him, to depend upon him. Listen, you can trust the good shepherd. Why? Because he is God. And he, and he gives you eternal life. life. And he rescued you. He knows you. He won't abandon you. Why? Because he died for you. It's an amazing thing to think about. Jesus is the good shepherd. I'm going to have our worship team come up. 
When you read a passage like this and comprehend what Jesus has done to purchase our salvation, I think it's a reminder for us just to get back to the basics, who he is, what he's done for us, why. Be careful that you don't allow the noise of the world to cause your eyes to look to the left or to the right, but continue to look up. You get the, you get the vertical right, and I say this all the time, and the horizontal falls into place. But if you're trying to just fix the horizontal, you're going to start. I mean, I remember the other morning, I, I, I woke up, and I looked at, I, I, I looked at my phone because I was turning it off, and I saw certain things on the phone, and I said, okay, I want to go read about all this. And I said, no, I just need to open up my Bible. Just get my heart right. Get my perspective right. He's the good shepherd. Father, I thank you for this reminder from your word. I thank you for the fact that you sent the good shepherd into this world to rescue us from our sin, to save us. Father, there may be some people today that just need to ask you for forgiveness for not trusting you. For allowing their lives to be consumed by things that are not of you. There may be others that for the first time today, they need to turn from their sins and turn to you. Trust you as Lord. Father, we, we thank you for the fact that you are good. And that you sent the good shepherd to save us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.